to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters six through nine of Catching Fire, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. So, following the execution of the man from District 11, Katniss and Haymitch tell Peta everything about Snow's warning as well as the danger they're all in. He's initially upset that they kept it from him, but they still go through the rest of the victory tour trying to pacify the rest of the districts. The final stop on the tour is the Capitol, where Katniss and Peta stage a public marriage proposal. President Snow himself comes to congratulate them, subtly letting Katniss know that she has not convinced him. They then attend a party at the president's mansion where Katniss meets the new head game maker, Plutarch Heavensby, who discreetly shows her his pocket watch that flashes the Mockingjay symbol. The tour returns to District 12 for the Harvest Festival, and Katniss accidentally witnesses an uprising in District 8 on Mayor Underseas Television. By this point, she has decided that her and her loved ones need to run away. She talks to Gail first, who initially agrees to go, but then changes his mind when he learns about the uprising in 8. Katniss then talks to Peta about it, and he says he would go with her, but their conversation is interrupted when they discover that Gail is receiving a whipping in the square from the new head peacekeeper. Katniss, Hamish, and Peta intervene, saving Gail and bringing him back to Katniss's mother for treatment. The new peacekeepers destroy the hob and crack down on District 12, closing the mines, cutting off their food supply, and punishing criminals harshly. When Katniss is finally able to sneak off into the woods again, she finds a person in the woods who she assumes is a peacekeeper as they are wearing the uniform, but as she is about to shoot them, they reveal a piece of bread with the Mockingjay symbol stamped into it. So, let's just get right into it. Let's break this down kind of bit by bit. Katniss and Peter are engaged, which would usually be, yay, happy for me, a person who ships them more than anything. Um, But in this case, it's actually not because they literally don't have a choice. Um, and so basically this marriage is being forced on them. And I talked about this a lot last week. I talked about how, like, the freedom to marry who you want is one of the only freedoms that the people of District 12 consistently have, and that's now being taken away from them. And I mostly talked last week about how it's being taken away from Katniss because that was, like, in those chapters, it was sort of her reaction to it. But let's keep in mind it's also being taken away from Peta. And, like, yeah, he is in love with her, and so you think, like, oh, he obviously wants to marry her, but as Hamage says to her when she's like why is he upset I thought he wanted this he says he wants it to be real which is a, important to think about as well because you always think like oh Katniss is being forced in this marriage Katniss doesn't want to marry Peta Katniss doesn't even love Peta etc but just because he loves her doesn't mean that he wants to marry her one right now like they're very they're literally 17 years old I don't think either of them plan on getting married for a long time but also it's still not easy for him because he's going to have to marry someone who he loves, who he knows doesn't love him back, but they still have to get married. So I think it's important to acknowledge also like how difficult that is from his side as well as hers. And also knowing that their marriage is not going to be like, oh, great and happy. And we're going to start a happy family. And it's going to be great. They know that like their marriage is always going to be a spectacle. And it's always going to be like every single year, every year that their mentor is going to be like, oh, look at here's Katniss Abita from the 74th Hunger Games. So it's not like it's happy for him either. Neither of them wants this marriage to happen, especially right now when they literally don't have a choice and they're literally doing it to like save their own lives and their family and friends' lives. Um, Going off of that and my point about Hamish being the one to point out to Katniss why Peta's upset about the marriage, let's, I, okay, I've talked a million times and I'll talk about a million times more about how intelligent Hamish is. But let's talk about his emotional intelligence, because that's kind of intelligence that you wouldn't necessarily expect from someone who 
has spent the last 25 years drinking alcohol to drown out every single one of his feelings. But he is actually really emotionally intelligent because it's consistently what happens is Peta is upset about something or something is going on and Katniss doesn't really understand or is frustrated by it or doesn't really know what to do. And Hamish is the one to be like, no, here's what's going on. And I think a big part of it is is Hamish's relationship with Peta, which often gets overlooked because obviously there's a lot more focus on his relationship with Katniss, um, being that they're so similar and obviously that she's a protagonist as well. But he also has a very close relationship with Peta and understands him in a really significant way. And I think that that's very important, um, especially for a character like Peta to have someone who is able to understand when he can't necessarily go around talking about how he feels to Katniss in particular, because it's just going to make her feel guilty. And he doesn't want that. And like, I don't think anyone wants that, but that makes it hard for him to express to her what he's upset about. But that's where Hamish comes in to be like, no, here's what's going on. No, here's what's happening in his mind right now. Um, And so I think that like, they each have an individually interesting dynamic with Hamish, yes, but the dynamic of like the group of three of them, Katniss, Peta, and Hamish is very interesting. And like, is is very dysfunctional in many ways but also has a very specific way in which it functions that none of them really recognize like what the kind of like rhythm they've fallen into as as like a trio of people but they and it's a lot of it is purely for like literally their own survival like this is the way that they've kind of learned to interact with each other in a way that is going to keep them all safe and alive well not necessarily safe but alive <laughs> um and safe as much as they can and i just like some of my favorite scenes in the series, and there's not enough of them. There's really not. I wish there were more. Are scenes with all three of them in a room together, D- honestly, just like talking. Like the dialogue between the three of them is so good, and and like literally has some of my favorite moments. Um, which is a big part of why I love the beginning of Catching Fire so much because that's when we get more of that because they're all in the same place for most of it. Um, in a way that they're not for most of the rest of the series because of the circumstances of their lives (laughs) but yeah so they're engaged now and it's not happy and no one's happy about it the next thing I want to talk about while we're on the subject of Peter Malark um is sort of his rebelliousness is that a word I think that's a word it doesn't matter you get what I mean he's supporting this it's not like a full-scale rebellion yet but like as soon as he's sort of cued into these like potential uprisings in the other districts he's like we can't be supporting this because of Snow's threats and like we the position that we're in like makes it, it extremely difficult for us to like be vocally supportive of these rebellions. Not that it's easy for anyone to be like, oh yeah, I support the rebels because you'll literally get killed for that. But like they have a very unique situation in terms of like what they can and can't do. But he very much supports it and he's really like, no, we need to be fighting back. Like these things need to be happening. And if we're helping that, then all the better. And he's smart enough to know, obviously, that he still has to play up this romance while they're on the tour. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have strong feelings about what's going on and more specifically, strong negative feelings towards the Capitol, which like, yeah, most people do. But he sort of has that like rebellious spirit in a really unique way that I think the reason why it gets overlooked is pretty clear to me. And I even sometimes forget that there's these little moments in Catching Fire where he's like telling Katniss how he feels about the potential of a rebellion against the Capitol. Um, biting my tongue right now because I'm committing to not spoiling things. But yeah, I think that he definitely would be willing to fight against the Capitol. 
but he's also smart about it you know like there's that there's that balance that any rebel has to have and i think he definitely has that and he definitely has the right mindset that would take him into being a part of a rebellion against the capital another little little tiny moment really like seemingly insignificant that happens in these chapters but is actually very important obviously um is katniss meeting plutarch and he shows her his pocket watch that has like a picture of a mockingjay that like flashes over it which takes her back obviously their whole conversation is kind of jarring to her because like he's a head game maker he should not care about her at all aside from like oh i, I want to meet the victor of the last games like really what the head game maker's job boils down to is how can i kill people in a way that is most entertaining that's basically it um and so obviously the last person they would care about is a tribute former or present but like they have kind of an interesting conversation um and i'm not gonna like get super super into it because i think that most of what needs to be said about plutarch will be said later once we kind of learn more about him because this is just a very brief introduction but it definitely leaves her with a lot of questions and it's also sort of starting to indicate to us as a reader but also katniss of like what does the mocking jason will mean now because when you're seeing it from the head game maker you're not thinking oh it obviously means that he supports the rebellion and he's he's a rebel because like in like in her mind logically who is the last person who is one of the last people that you would ever expect to support the rebellion the head game maker and so she, she but she's confused about it she's like why did he show me this and, and like be secretive about it and she kind of ends up boiling it down to like oh it must be some new like trend he's starting and he he doesn't want other people to like copy it or whatever which like makes sense when you think about the people at the capital i mean we're in the context of this party where some crazy things are happening like Katniss's prep team literally tries to get her and Katniss to or her and Peta to drink a drink that makes you vomit so you can eat more food so like crazy things are happening and we've seen all the weird mess up things that the people at the capital do so the idea that like oh he doesn't want other people to see this watch because it's his thing and he doesn't want knockoffs is like not far-fetched at all like that makes so much sense when you realize that he is a um part of the capital and is now the head game maker which is one of the highest positions within the capital and one of the worst because like i said your job is literally to kill children like period that's literally what you're getting paid to do so she basically brushes it off as that but it's noteworthy enough that like as a reader you're kind of cued into like no this is there's something more going on here there's definitely more to this than oh it's just some new fashion trend but what is it I don't know. Guess we'll find out. I'm just thinking about the eventual Plutarch Heaven Speed character episode that I'm going to do. Oh, it's going to be so good. I have a million things to say about that man. Anyway, though, we're not there yet. So let's continue talking about Catching Fire. Um, I talked last week and I've focused a lot on like support systems in Katniss's life because I think that's huge in this series. But last week I got into specifically like who are her friends at this point and one of them is Madge and we learn a bit more about their relationship in these chapters. I love Madge so much. I think it's like a big reason why they start spending more time together is because neither of them really has anything to do because they come from wealthier families and so Katniss no longer needs to be out hunting every single day and she still does but like she doesn't need to be like literally fighting for her survival at every second because they have money to buy things now. And Madge is kind of the same way, like, her family has money. She doesn't need to be, like, working, especially at their age. Neither of them needs to have a job with the amount of money that their families have. 
slowly start spending more time together. And I think that Madge is very interesting just as like an idea of a character because we kind of see like, and this is something that literally gets brought up in the first few chapters of the very first book of like, yes, the mayor and his family are wealthy for District 12, but they aren't, they don't really have power. Like they have power within District 12, but it could all be stripped away at any moment. They're not, it's not like they're like capital government officials, if that makes any sense. Like they, they really, yes, they get more money. Yes, they get like a higher standard of living than most of the people of District 12 do, but that's basically all they get for that. And so, and that's immediately, Gail kind of groups them in with like, not necessarily the capital elite, but kind of separates them out and being like, oh, you don't have to worry about being reaped because you've never had to take tessery, um, because you have money and food. And Katniss is the one to acknowledge, like, that's not really fair because one, it's not Madge's fault. And two, it's not even really her family's fault. Like, just because he's the mayor of 12 doesn't mean he has any say in what the capital does because they truly don't. And we see that pretty clearly. But what he does have is more access to information, which ends up helping Katniss out because she sees the uprising in District 8, which is pretty much our first major act of rebellion in the series. We've had little things here and there, little comments. We had some stuff in District 11, but this is like a planned uprising to try and take control of their district. But the once again, the important thing about how she finds out is that she's not supposed to know about it and no one else is going to know about it. Only the people in District 8 and the people who are deemed as like they need to know about this in the other districts, which is like the mayors which for District 12 is literally just the mayor and she only sees it because she happens to be in his house. But anyway, back to what I was saying about Madge because that's actually what I wanted to talk about here. Um, I think that they have a nice, like, simple friendship where there's there's not, it's a nice, like, break from the pressure of every other friendship that Katniss has right now. Everything with Gail is so strained and her and Peta are like, oh yeah, we're going to try to be friends now, but that takes work and also it's always going to be complicated between them. Just like it just is because look at their circumstances it's never going to be like easy going to be friends with him because there's always going to be that extra 30 layers of like we survive the hunger games together and also we're engaged and also you're in love with me and i'm not in love with you and etc 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 hey mitch (laughs) is hey mitch he's a good person for her to confide in but he also is like drunk most of the time so he's not the most reliable support system i'm gonna be real um And Madge, yeah, it's not like she can talk to Madge necessarily about the things that are going on, like, in the country that she's aware of and, like, her life being literally threatened and stuff like that. But it's almost better that they don't have that stuff between them because when she's with Madge, she can just kind of, like, try to not think about everything else that's going on and just try to, like, enjoy herself and, and talk to her friend. And I think that that's something that's really important to have as much as it's important to have a friend or multiple that you can confide in and tell like the really bad serious stuff that's going on in your life it's also important to have someone who you can just kind of enjoy yourself with and I think that that is the main role that Madge plays in the series and it's very important but they also do understand each other and I don't think that like like I think she knows that Madge would have her back if it ever like if she ever needed it and so even though they don't necessarily talk about like some of the stuff that's going on she knows that she can rely on her and that's that in itself makes their friendship really strong okay i've put it off long enough we have to talk about the 
love confession that does happen in these chapters. And normally I love a good love confession, but not when it's Gale. Not when it's Gale. Yeah. Let's talk about this scene, actually, because Katniss is like, hey, we need to run away. We need to run away because they're going to kill all of us. And Gale is like, oh my god, yeah, so true. Let's do it. And she's like, oh, great. That was easy. Okay. And now I just need to get, like, Peta and Hamish. And then Gail's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Peta's coming too. Can, sir, can you think for a second? I just, because this is when he's like, I love you and I want to run away with you. And this is not about you. This is not about you. This isn't like, oh, let's run off into the woods and be in love and be happy. No, you're literally, they're literally going to kill all of you. Hamish and Peta included. I don't know why I said Hamish's name first because Peta is the one that Gail's mad about. <laughs> um, but but no, like I just can't with him. And then and uh, but then she tells him about the uprising in eight, and then he's like, "No, I think we should stay." Which like, okay, you do you. If you want to stay and fight, that is great. Like I I respect you for that. But like, oh my god, why are you so enthusiastic about running away? And then the second she says that Peta is coming too because he'll literally get killed if he doesn't go, you're like, no, I am not. I'm not going. Or at least I'm like, oh, Peta's coming. What is your problem? Once again, this is not about you. This is not about you. I literally could not care less about your personal feelings. And let's think about the flip side of that. When she tells Peta about the plan, he's hesitant about it. And he's like, I don't think we're going to end up doing that because, like, look at our circumstances. But he's not like, oh, Gail's going. Oh, well, I'm not going then. Because he, like is an adult which is so ironic because he's not an adult he's 17 gail however is an adult he's 19 years old please act like an adult sir okay anyway (laughs) i just am so sorry he just gets worse as things go along like every every section that, that he appears in it's just worse than the last it's just keeps getting worse but this one is rough because i'm like bro also like do you really think now is the time to be like i'm in love with you read the room read the room you're she literally is like we need to leave or we will die and he's like i love you why 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 do you have to do this right now why do you have to do this right now and then it's basically like how do you feel about me do you think she has time to think about dating you right now let's be serious let's be serious she literally might i say it again just told you that everyone's gonna die and you're like but how do you feel about me but are we gonna be in love or not unbelievable i hate that man so much anyway let's move on before i start yelling i want to talk a bit about like the role of the victors as a group in penem because it's portrayed as by the capitals portrayed as you win the hunger games and then you get money and and food and riches and everything you could possibly want fame etc 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 and then it's basically supposed to be like oh you one, like, you won the Hunger Games, but also, like, you beat the system, so to speak. Like, now you're safe from the games, and also you're rich and famous. What else could you possibly want? But obviously that's a lie, because one, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Once you get out of the arena, you're, like, gonna be super traumatized from that, obviously. But it also is, like, the the illusion that like once you win the games you're free to live as you please is so not true like one you have to mentor every single year depending on like your district and and whatnot like but like you still have to mentor you still like most of the victors still um like travel to the capital for the games and stuff and 
do interviews and, and photo shoots and etc. And so, and like obviously we're seeing a clear example of this being Katniss and Peeta like literally won the games and and what did they have to show for it? Um, aside, like, yes, it's so nice to have money and not have to like literally worry about how you're gonna get your next meal. But in terms of like the circumstances of their lives, it's not good. It's really not good. And it, this is not specific to them. Like, obviously, these circumstances are different, especially being like that there's two of them and they're supposed to be in love and the whole thing with the berries and like these potential uprisings. But like, it's the theme across the board that the victors are not just like free to do whatever they want after they win the games. And so the real point of the victors is for the capital to like prop them up and be like, oh my gosh, look how great they're doing. Look at every, look how generous we are. That's the big thing is like, look how, what an honor it is to win the games. Everyone should want to win them. But the real purpose of dragging them out every single year and putting the spotlight back on them and reminding you all of how they won is to be like, just because they won the games, they're still a part of our metaphorical game that is how we control the districts. And so, like, it, they still have to get all dressed up and do interviews and, and talk about their games and watch playbacks and mentor and, like, do all these things for the next Hunger Games and the next and the next and the next. And so they don't actually get to have the sort of freedom that should come with winning the games. They're just another tool that the capital is using to control people and paint this illusion of like, oh, we're so great. Where would you be without us? But also we can do whatever we want to you. I also want to just briefly kind of touch on the like perspective that specifically Katniss's mother and also Haymitch offer on the history of District 12. Because the majority of our characters are young people. Like we have Katniss Peter 17, Gail's 19, Prim is 13. Everyone is very young, hasn't been around for very long. But Hamish and Katniss's mother are the two more major characters who have been around for longer. Not including like antagonists, obviously. Like the ones who could offer that kind of insight into District 12's history that they kind of need right now, which is what we get when the the new peacekeepers come in and and like take control and start like obviously it starts with Gail's whipping but also there's more going on than just that and Mrs. Everdeen and Hamish are both kind of like we've seen this before like this isn't the first time that these kind of things have been happening it just kind of eased up for a while but now that we're back in the spotlight because of Katniss and Peeta winning the games and also especially with all the things that are going on in the other districts and like this sort of like stirring of rebellion that's happening they're really cracking down on it again um and I think that like it's nice to kind of have those two characters be able to be like here's what things were like before and also especially with this book taking place for the 75th Hunger Games which is obviously quarter quell the sort of I mean Hamish even more so to an extreme because he literally won the last quarter quell but mrs everdeen was also around she also experienced it and she even this is brought up in the next section but it's not really a spoiler so i'll just say she had a friend who was in the 50th games and obviously didn't win because Hamish did um and so like the experience surrounding a quarter quell is obviously very unique and the circumstances for each one are very different believe me that is something we're going to talk about next week because i have 
five million thoughts about the earlier quarter quells specifically. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about the 50th games, the second quarter quell, because Hamish won it. I have a lot of thoughts about him. Um, but also the first one, yeah, we're going to talk about it. But that's the next week thing. But um, yeah, the the sort of experience of living through a quarter quell is obviously something very different and something that is very relevant. Um, and so they kind of can be that, Hamish can be that insight into like the actual games, but also the things that are happening in District 12 are not new and have happened before. And we're so, I'm sorry, not to completely derail my train of thought, but we're so close to the chapter where we get into like all of Hamish's games. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Guys, you don't even understand like how excited I am to talk about it. It might be the whole episode. I'm going to really try to not, but like I literally could spend an entire episode just talking about that. And I'm just really thinking about it because it's so relevant to everything I'm talking about right now, but I want to not say it for people that are trying to read for the first time. Um, so I'm going to shut myself down right now. But yeah, they. the point of this within this chapter is that once these new peacekeepers show up and things start getting really bad, they can kind of be like, this happened before and we know how to fix it. And Hamish is even like the amount of people that have been in Gail's situation that we brought to your mother because she was always the one who would save them. I think also establishes like how how significant Mrs. Everdeen has been to the people of District 12 as being such, as good of a doctor as she is for so long and like many many people have come to her and she has saved so many people and get all is like similar to sort of the way that I've talked about how like what did Rue mean to District 11 what did Prim mean to District 12 what does Katniss mean to District 12 and now we have what does Mrs. Everdeen mean to District 12 because their entire family is so important to District 12 because Katniss has provided food for so many people and who couldn't love Prim who wouldn't love Prim like everyone loves Prim and and now Prim is becoming to be just as good of a healer as her mother has been and her mother has been saving people's lives for years and years and years and so the district a lot of people in district 12 owe a lot to Katniss's family as a whole and it also helps to explain not that it needs explanation of like why would people follow her because I mean like I I think we all get it um but it does help of like the people of district 12 where an uprising would be would be really hard to pull off because district 12 is a much smaller district they have less people so they would need every single person for it to work or for it to even potentially work they couldn't have some of the district's population be too scared to fight they would literally need everyone and so but there are people in district 12 who'd be willing to do it and specifically who'd be willing to follow Katniss in doing that and to trust her family under difficult conditions as we get towards the end of these chapters here Katniss sort of starts to realize like there's no running from this but she's like no I need to be helping the rebellion and she kind of has this moment where she like chooses Gail oh so hard to say it's so hard to say it's not that she's like oh my god yeah I'm, I'm so in love with Gail like it's crazy no but the big thing here is that she's now decided she wants to help the rebellion if she can and being with PETA means betraying the rebellion and it's not that simple and i'm gonna break down what i mean by that but that's sort of the base of it is because being with like choosing to still marry Peta and, and be with him and be in love with him and all that is what the capital wants 
And the people in the districts are smart enough to realize that most of what happened in the first games was an act, at least on her part. Because that is the whole point of, like, Snow telling her to convince everyone that they're in love is because, like, the people in the districts think you pulled out these berries as an act of rebellion, not out of love, because they don't believe that you're actually in love with him. That's where the whole thing stems from. So if she marries Peta and and pretends to be happy and in love with him forever, it's a way of her being like, I'm I'm gonna support the capital. Or not necessarily I'm gonna support the capital, but I'm not going to support the rebellion. I don't know, it's not that simple. I'm trying to think of how I wanna phrase this. But the point is she because gail is now like i want to fight and and that's why he says he doesn't want to leave the district is because he wants to try to like start something in district 12 and she basically is like oh i could stay and help gail and and sort of like support the cause and like if if i end up being with him so be it but if i just go along with this wedding and, and don't say anything and like tell everyone that I'm in love with Peta. I'm just giving into what the capital wants and that's not very rebellious of me but this is where I go back to like Peta's support of the rebellion or like a potential rebellion if it were to happen he would support it is that like he is still can do there is still room for him to establish himself as a quote-unquote rebel in the same way that Katniss did when she pulled out those berries or when doing what she did for Rue or the things that she's done when she gave her speech in 11 and he's sort of already done it like there's definitely moments where you're like oh I I like this kid he's not just like bought into the capital's lies he's he's here to support the districts but it's it, it is pretty clear even to the people of the districts that he actually is in love with Katniss and that he's not acting um so when you look back at some moments like the berries which were obviously rebellious from her and she's the one who pulled them out for him it and this is what the capital wants can kind of be drawn down to like oh he's just in love with her he would do anything for her and so i think that this is sort of when he starts to establish to panem as much as he can without like getting them all killed but also to the readers that like no he has a rebellious spirit too in a way that katniss does not in the same way but I think that's what's important is because, like, if you're actually going to fight the Capitol, you need all kinds of different types of fighters. And some of those types of fighters are not fighters. They're, for example, compelling speakers, which he is, canonically, a very good speaker. Um, which is something that's really emphasized in this book when they're, like, giving speeches. And, God, there's one moment later on. Anyway, but... um. <laughs> It, they're really drilling down on the like he is a really good speaker and he makes people want to believe him and to follow him and that is something that is so crucial when you are trying to rebel against this this government that has been in control for the last 75 years and will do anything to squash any potential uprising you need people to be the voice that is going to rally people and I think that he absolutely has that ability if if like he could be that could be something that he could contribute to the rebellion in a way that would be super beneficial. But yeah, I think that it's it's even harder for her to consider having feelings for him when she knows that that's exactly what the capital wants. And so it makes this whole situation even more complicated of like, it's it's easier to just be in love with Gail and be with him and, and choose this fight together. But also she's starting to realize that she has real feelings for Peta and it's not going to be that simple. And also Peta is better than Gail in every way ever. That's not something she says, but it's what I say after reading it. Um, but yeah, she feels that 
choosing to be with him and fully commit to him would be a betrayal of what she has now decided she wants to support, which are things like the uprising in eight and the potential of an organized rebel effort against the capital. But I also think it's important because some uh, there are definitely times when she's kind of just being pushed around and being told, like, do this, do that, in terms of, like, helping the rebellion. They're like, we need you. We just need you to do this, whatever. But it starts here with her actively making the decision to support the rebellion in what way she can, which isn't necessarily right now, like, going and telling everyone, oh, my God, yeah, let's fight the Capitol and, like, getting her weapons out and just start shooting peacekeepers because, like, where is that going to get you? Um but it's just the conscious choice of like, no, this is something that we should really actually be pursuing. And now that I know that there are, there is, a, there's an uprising in eight and I can infer that there might be uprisings in other districts as well. And people are actually wanting to fight. That's the kind of momentum that can't, they can't let go to waste. And so this is the moment where she kind of commits internally to herself to be like, okay, I'm going to try to do what I can while also keeping the people I love safe. Because again, that is always her primary concern is like, there's only so much I can do and it won't come back to my family and friends being killed. But it's it's just the like motive, like the the internal drive to help the rebels is what is important and what kind of like clicks for her here. And just the thought of like, as she's going forward now, she's going to be thinking like, what impact will this have on a potential rebellion? And how can I sort of do do what Snow's asking me and and keep everyone I love safe while also showing that I am supporting these people? And that's going to be the sort of like tricky balancing act that she has to pull off because there's so much at stake for her personally and so much at stake for the country because if if this sort of like spark of rebellion gets tampered out, who knows when it'll happen again? Because it's been 75 years since the last war and you don't even know if there's ever going to be another chance. And so you don't want to let that go to waste. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters 10 through 13 of Catching Fire. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.